Hello, everyone. You're listening to Slapdash, the podcast about history, art, science, and everything else. We're your hosts, Jason Creekmore and Shannon Deaton. Welcome to the show. On today's episode, we are going to learn all about game show scandals. Across the table from me is Alex Trebek's stunt double, Shannon Deaton. Shannon, how are you today? I'm doing well. Should I phrase that in the form of a question? Uh, If you prefer. Four or 200, I guess. I don't know what it is. What is I'm doing well? What is I'm doing well? (laughs) I don't really know how to say that, man. So, Shannon, today we are going to talk all about uh, game shows, obviously, specifically game show scandals. Uh, But before we do that, uh, what are some of your favorite game shows growing up? Well, I I watched a lot growing up, but I I think the classics, Jeopardy, of course, Will of Fortune, those stick out to me. I watched those a lot growing up. And more recently, I guess, it's definitely newer than some of the others, but Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Did you watch that very much? Oh, yeah. A lot when it first came out. I was sort of like semi-obsessed with it when it first came out. (laughs) It's pretty good. Probably my favorites, I would imagine, are probably like all time, would be Jeopardy and probably Deal or No Deal. Have you? Did you ever watch Deal or No Deal with with Howie Mandel? Is that the one with briefcases? It is, yeah. And I even like like the uh, video game version of that. If you go to arcades, have you ever played that? I have. It's pretty cool. It, yeah, there's something about that. I think it's just sort of the uh, uh, odds where you know odds are involved, and there's a lot of math and statistics sort of involved with that. Yeah. And I absolutely just loved uh, loved that game. So. Probably for me in terms of, of game shows, probably Jeopardy uh, or Deal or No Deal. But I know you, know, you had mentioned uh, a game earlier when we were talking about something uh, kind of cool, uh, something kind a little bit sad. But it, yeah. it is a little bit. You know, uh, a lot of times when we do these sort of episodes, I try to imagine myself in the place of whoever we're talking about. And sometimes it's happy. You know, we're talking about Walmart and Ford, and those guys are multimillionaires <laughs> right. and they have quite a legacy. Yeah. Happy fun time. Right? That's right. <laughs> it's, it's fun to think about uh, being those folks. But but in 2012, something happened on Wheel of Fortune that, unfortunately, if I were there, I think I would have befell the same fate. And, and here's what happened. <laughs> there was a contestant named Renee Durrett. She was a naval intel specialist from Florida. And she was at the end of a game. And everything was up on the board. You know how Wheel of Fortune works. You have the, the letters and there's some oh, yeah. blanks and some things filled in. And she was going to solve the puzzle. And, and the proper answer for the puzzle was seven swans a-swimming. Okay. Now, notice the emphasis there. At the end of swimming, there's apparently a G, which we Southern folks don't always <laughs> pronounce correctly. <laughs> So Renee, being from Florida, you know, it was her time to solve the puzzle, and she kind of sit upright, and she proclaimed in a loud voice, and very sure of herself, seven swans a-swimming. Now, obviously, to, to we Southern folk, that sounds just fine to me. You know, seven swans a-swimming. That's makes, how I sing the song. Makes sense to me. <laughs> but unfortunately, the judges did not agree, and uh, the show's rules specify that contestants can't use slang or even Southern vernacular, even if that's how they talk, when they're solving a puzzle. And since Durrett dropped the G in her answer and said seven swans a-swimming, instead of seven swans a-swimming, which doesn't even sound right to my ears, she lost the money. The letter G was even on the board when she attempted to solve that puzzle. So it oh, wasn't really? Like, yeah, it wasn't like she didn't know. It's just, that's the way she talks. So the G was already there? It was, yeah. Oh my gosh, that it, makes it even worse. man. Yeah. I, I think if I were in her shoes, I would have oh, cried foul. lost that money. Yeah, I'd, I've, I've, I guess I probably still would have been in some director or producer's <laughs> office right now, I guess. Yeah, and that's not exactly a scandal. That's just something when we were 
researching right. this episode, it stuck out to me, and I thought, oh, man, poor her, oh, because gosh. that would be poor me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. Well, you know, but there, uh, there are scandals there are. Uh, yeah. every once in a while. And, of course, uh, the uh, game show industry has just sort of been riddled with these uh, throughout the decades. Uh, I guess maybe one of the first occurred in 1956 on the uh, game show 21. Have you ever heard of that show? Yeah, I have. Yeah, the name of it is 21. Uh, came out by NBC in 1956. And basically, the game worked by placing two contestants in separate booths. They cannot see the crowd nor hear the crowd or the game show host. The audio would be turned on, turned on and off whenever the host would ask trivia questions. So oh, at the yeah. appropriate time, contestant one or contestant two could could hear. The first episode did not go well. The contestants missed tons of questions. There were some like lapses back and forth, some audio issues. The viewership was poor, and the uh, producers of the show called it quote a dismal failure. Co-producer Dan Enright was quoted as saying, from that moment on, we decided to rig 21. Oh, so like the producers rigged the, the producers show. rigged it starting in episode two. <laughs> wow, that that's pretty early to throw throw it in. And they kind of pulled. You know the, what? That's yeah. They they pulled the plug. This show's terrible. They pulled it pretty quickly. <laughs> uh, soon after, they began giving Herb Stemple uh, questions and answers prior to each show, and Mister Stemple went on a winning streak. Well, of course he did. I always think about Ken Jennings. That's like the one winner. From Jeopardy. Like the name that sort of pops out. But something yeah. along those lines, right? So Herb here began to win a lot and, and win often. So this went on for some time as the ratings increased due to people's interest in Herb Stemple's winning streak. But just like in professional wrestling, a 21 decided that they needed something to spice up the routine. <laughs> So they told Stemple uh, that he had to lose the next game so that a new champion could be crowned. Wow. So your time has passed. Yeah, and you said wrestling. I thought they were going to flare it up with some tables and chairs and you know, break them over people's <laughs> From faces. <parts> unknown. <laughs> uh, and the person, this, this new champion that they identified was Charles Van Doren, who was a professor at Columbia University. Okay. So in that particular episode, they told Stemple to throw the game let Van Doren win, and he did. And then they started to feed Van Doren answers. So Van Doren mm. kind of goes on this streak. So, uh, you know, soon after Stemple began to talk about what had occurred during his time there. And eventually the scandal broke in August of 1958. And by October of 1958, the game was canceled by NBC. So mm. just roughly a couple of months after uh, Mr. Stemple began to talk, it was canceled. Uh, two interesting notes. Uh, this event was the basis for the 1994 movie The Quiz Show. Have you ever? I, I personally have never watched. I, that. I've not seen it. I've heard of it though, and yeah. I knew it was based on something we were covering here. So it's twenty one. It's twenty one. Yeah. So the the uh, popular movie from nineteen ninety four, the quiz show, was based on uh, these events involving the real game show twenty one. Uh, the director of the movie, Robert Redford offered Herb Stemple $100,000 to serve as an assistant for the movie, but he huh. de but he declined. Why? So $100,000 know, roughly 25, 26 years ago. Just to inform the cast of yep. how to do things. Yep. And just to sort of be like an expert opinion type thing. Is, you know, for $100,000? And he uh, said no? He said no. Yeah, he declined. Huh. Finally, Congress passed some legislation uh, shortly thereafter in 1960 uh, due to this scandal that uh, was in regard to just you know being on the up and up and and you know, public game shows and making sure money is exchanged in a in a fair way and right. so there there was some legislation 
uh, that got updated in 1960. And, and again, a movie in 1994, all because of the 1958 scandal. You know, it's kind of interesting. I don't know what laws are on the books for game shows. I assume they're they're more stringent now than I'd they imagine. used to be. But it's interesting to think that at the end of the day, this is just a form of entertainment, like wrestling, like professional yeah. wrestling. And it's widely known that, unfortunately, wrestling is not always as real as it portrays itself to wait, be. Wait, what, <laughs> what, what, what did you just say? Cover your ears, Jason. Uh, say it ain't so. <laughs> but, I mean, come on. This is their show, and they wanted to make it more entertaining. So I could see the other side of this too. So the person was, was he actually playing against another person or was this just, yes. So, yeah. So there was always one person that was sort of being duped at all times. Then that makes sense to me. Then, then you should draw the line there because this other person's being set up. Well, they did. Yeah. If they had thought that through a bit, you know, further along, could they not have just had both people sort of playing it up a little bit, you know, have a rival, let, let each person be in on it. You you know, you would imagine, but I think uh, that would have been just as entertaining. Maybe, more so right because you could really fuel that rivalry and make it even more interesting i mean you know those situations when you're sort of uh you know you only have one party paid off that can only last for so long and then when you begin <laughs> to not pay that party yeah all of a sudden it's like hey guess what i know you that's know? right yeah and that's what happened here sounds like that's right so jason have you heard of a game show called press your luck I have. Absolutely. There's been a lot of information about the show. I actually watched this growing up. I, I don't know if it was on the air when I was young, but they were definitely playing it in syndication. There were reruns right. going on. And this is the show where you see the contestant's face in the center <laughs> of a big board, right. they call it. And a light will race around the edges of the screen and highlight these different boxes. And you have to hit a stopper to stop the light on a particular box. And the boxes can say different things. Sometimes they'll say, you win $3,000. Sometimes they'll say you win a trip to Jamaica. And other times you'll land on a character called a whammy. Okay. <laughs> and if you land on a whammy, you lose all the money you've earned up to this point. So obviously the object of the game is to stop the light on the highest numbers right. to take sort home of, the, the most amount of money. Sort of a big bucks, no whammy, right? That's I think right. that's kind that's of what, what they would say. They would say, say come yeah. on, big bucks, no whammy, no whammy. <laughs> and then they would slam the stopper and it would stop. So the interesting thing about this game is as random as it appeared to be, it wasn't exactly random. The lights would flash in a particular pattern and someone who was kind of savvy and would take the time to study the patterns could learn from those and they could go on to be very successful on this show. Someone did that and that person's name was Paul Michael Larson. He was an American contestant on Press Your Luck in 1984. He is notable for winning $110,237 in 84, which is equivalent to $271,000 in today's money. It's a pretty good chunk of change. I could use that money. Absolutely. In cash and prizes. At the time, this was the largest one-day total ever won on a game show. A lot of money there. He had to put some preparation into this. There had to be some thought into how to prepare himself to be able to win at this game at this level. So how did he do it? He started by recording the episodes of Press Your Luck shortly after its premiere on CBS in September 1983. And while watching, he noticed that the randomizer that moved the light indicator around the 18 square big board pieces had only five patterns. So Larson began memorizing these patterns, and after a while, he started playing along with the big board rounds to test his theory, and he would pause the VHS tape at various intervals and make a guess as to what he thinks was coming up. The grand discovery that he made was the fourth and eighth squares always contain cash 
and never a whammy. So if you're playing the odds and the stats and trying to come up with a strategy, if you can figure out the pattern to a degree that you can always stop the lie on squares four and eight, that's going to give you the best chance of winning money because there's always money in right. those slots and no, never a whammy. No whammies. Because whammy means you lose it. So uh, Larson also learned that square number four always contained the top dollar values and that in the second round, contestants were awarded an additional spin if they landed on those spots. So this is what he attempted to exploit. He learned those five patterns. He recognized the patterns in the recordings and he actually set up his own table and started testing this out with miniature electronics and stopping the light at a precise moment to land on squares four and eight. Now, he did go on to get on the show. Some reports said when he was being interviewed for the show, some folks were hesitant to let him on there. They said, this guy has some strange motives. It never did say what those motives were, but <laughs> surely to goodness, I mean, he just get an interview and just say- Just to win money, I would, I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been testing this theory that I can run the game and never mess up and take all this money from CBS. Maybe that's what he said. I don't know. Surely not, though. He, he seemed like a savvy kind of guy. Right. He, he'd been involved in some other scams prior to this, but he did earn his way onto the show and the game started like any ordinary game would. Players were answering questions in the first round and Larson actually, he did very poorly in the beginning because he hadn't studied to answer questions, Jason. Right. <laughs> he came that day to not hit a whammy. He finished the first round of the show in last place behind the two other contestants. But in the second round, this is where history was made. <laughs> Larson began his legendary run of hitting money squares time after time after time. <laughs> he ran his total up to $10,000, and he also won a trip to uh, Kauai and a sailboat in round two. So at this point, they're thinking, yeah, this guy's getting better, but he, he's not really hit his stride just yet. The host kept getting increasingly astounded that Larson just kept spinning because if you hit money, you're pressing your luck if you go again. Because right, you're increasing the chance. At any moment, a whammy's coming. That right. you're going to hit yeah. a whammy. So he kept going, and the host kept becoming more and more surprised. So he passed the $40,000 mark, the 50000 the 60000 And he finally decided to, to stop once he reached $102,851. And here's some stats on the spins up to this point. By this time, he had made 40 spins on the board without hitting a whammy. 37 of those were for cash money. Of those 37 cash spins, he hit square number four 20 times, including six times in a row. He also managed to land on square number eight 15 times, hitting it consecutively three in a row twice. So wow. just time after time after time, he's punishing this game show. And you can just imagine in, in the background, the producers oh, who are sitting in the I sound booth. Something's up. <laughs> They're sitting there. They're scared out of their minds. What are we going to do? This guy's just going to run us out of business. After Larson announced that he was passing his remaining four spins because he'd, he'd earned so many extra spins, he was actually like built up. He, he just said, all right, I'm at $102,000 plus. I'm going to stop right here. He raised his arms in triumph and received a standing ovation from the audience. <laughs> Drop the mic, right? I'm out. That's right. He was a superstar. Right. I mean, you can just imagine. Uh, he immediately, or the player immediately followed Larson, so the contestant right after him, hit a whammy on the first spin. 
<laughs> so, so here's Larson just time after time after time, 40 spins, never hits a whammy. The very next person hits a whammy the very first time. And, and they had such a look of surprise. You can see this clip online on YouTube. And they just look at him and say, uh, he must have known that was coming. That was coming, right? <laughs> That's right. That's why he Tell me off. my fortune, sir. <laughs> so that contestant lost all the money from the first round. The next player spun, hit a whammy on her first turn, and also lost all of her money from the first round. <laughs> It sounds like maybe voodoo or something was involved in that. It's just insane. So while Larson was running up the score, the show's producers contacted a man named Michael Brockman. He was the head of CBS's daytime programming department. In a TV Guide interview years later, Brockman said, quote, something was very wrong. (laughs) Here was this guy from nowhere, and he was hitting the bonus box every time. It was bedlam, I can tell you. And we couldn't stop this guy. He kept going around the board and hitting that box. Can, can you just imagine how helpless? Just think about this. If, if you have your wallet open, you know, at the back of the studio, and every time somebody uh, pushes a button, you got to take a dollar out of that wallet and give it to them. You have no power yeah, to, just to stop that person from hitting that button. You just got to hope. So the producers, along with Brockman, met to review the videotape of the show after it was over and noticed something odd about Larson's performance. And of course they did. <laughs> he was recognizing patterns. They noticed that Larson would immediately celebrate after many of his spins instead of waiting the fraction of a second it would take for a contestant to see and respond to the space he or she had stopped on. It appeared that Larson knew he was going to get something good as if he had memorized a pattern. Right. At first, CBS refused to pay Larson, considering him a cheater. However, the producers failed to find a clause in the game's rules that would disqualify him, so in the end, they were forced to pay him his winnings. He was not allowed to return for the next show since he had exceeded the CBS winnings cap, which at the time was $25,000. He kind of blew past what he, that, what yeah. he got. Uh, the five original light patterns on the show's board were replaced with five <laughs> new ones for about a month, and those were replaced with a different set of five new patterns for another month, and a further programming of the board with 32 patterns was completed in August 1984, ensuring that no one could duplicate Larson's trick. Wow. So when you're talking about scandals, man, oh man. It would have been really cool if he came back like three months later, like clean shaven, and then like three <laughs> months later, he had like a goatee. And, oh no. You know, he just, he's he, just a whole different guy. He just kept milking him for money over and over. <laughs> he memorized all 32 patterns. This actually ends a little bit tragically. Um, as I was reading about his story, he, he lost about half that money because he was trying to participate in an, another, not really a scam, but he he had all that money in the bank from winning Press Your Luck. And there was a radio show that gave out random numbers that you someone might be able to find on like a dollar bill. So uh, they said, if anyone can <laughs> find the serial number on a dollar bill that you have, then we'll give you whatever the prize money was, like $30,000 or something. So he went to the bank and he withdrew, I think they said $50,000 in $1 bills. He took that out. He spot checked every single one of them. And once he discovered that he didn't have the winning serial number, he left a portion of that money at his house and went to a Christmas party. Oh, and, no. and guess what happened? Someone so, broke in. Someone broke in and they stole $50,001 bills from him. 
which is tragic in a way. I mean, yeah, he cheated, but he cheated in a in a fair way. I know that's weird it's to like, say. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't know. against the rules. He just uh, he it's probably just, against the spirit of the rules, but not yeah, not technically it's, breaking uh, the rules. I had a cousin that would always say, you know, let's let's use the clues the world has given us. Oh, that's <laughs> and interesting. I, and I yeah. think that's probably what he did. That's what he did. It's, it's like, hey, you know, there's some there's some patterns here. <laughs> I can if if I study and sort of dedicate enough time, I think I can rack up. So the tough part would be just getting on the show. Yeah. I mean, once you're there, it's like, oh, you are a had lad because I know exactly what you know. <laughs> so that's that's interesting. Yeah, pr- pretty interesting story. You can learn more about this. I think there's been a couple documentaries about it that you can look up on YouTube. But I found it pretty compelling stuff. So Jason, what's up next? Shannon, have you ever been on a date? Yeah, my wife and I went on a date a few years ago. All right. <laughs> Many years ago. <laughs> in fact, about 15. <laughs> yeah, my, my wife and I, we, we try to have date night, but that, that normally just doesn't happen because usually date night consists of just watching basketball and popcorn and, you know, uh, either on TV or our own daughter. So it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, man. <laughs> Kinda, yeah, so we're, we're sort of dedicated to basketball there. <laughs> uh, I love you, Mindy. So the dating game, right? So that very popular game, uh, especially years ago. In 1978, there was an episode of The Dating Game that appeared like uh, any other, except one of the contestants was a serial killer. That's not like any other game I've ever watched, <laughs> dun, man. Dun-dun-dun. Yeah, <laughs> Jason Voorhees. <laughs> he just the, the mask would tip him off, though? <laughs> you got like two regular guys, and then he's just sitting there with a machete. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, gosh. Contestant Rodney James Alcala was one of the three men from whom Cheryl Bradshaw made her selection. And in fact, Mrs. Bradshaw actually selected uh, Rodney Alcala. But after the show, she did not go on a date with him because she said he was, quote, creepy. Well, the machete. So, yeah, I'd imagine the machete. So, so think about that. So, you have three guys there, right? right. And so she, you know, how how the uh, the show goes. Basically, she asks questions. She can't see these three guys. They're right? just like a silhouette behind. It's a, like, yeah, it's there's just like a like a, a, a divider. Oh, a partition. Right. Yeah. yeah. So she's asking questions. She'll say contestant one, and then she'll ask a question. They'll answer it. So based on all of these answers, she would uh, then select one of these three contestants, and then they would win the date, right? And yeah. so then she. And, and the contestant that she selects without seeing, they they go out on a date. So uh, lucky her, she actually selected Rodney Alcala, who at this time had already murdered at least four people as he's on the show. So, While he was sitting there, yes, he was already oh gosh, he was man. already a serial killer at the time. At the time he's on the game show, he, he a minimum has murdered four people already at this point. Talk about producers asking about what their intentions <laughs> Background are. Background checks. <laughs> What are your intentions, sir? And he's just sitting there, you know. <laughs> Number five. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like our countdown, right? You're like number five. Oh my goodness! Yeah. And that, that's Day scary. Ball. This this is real. This isn't. This is anything. This isn't a movie. This no. isn't. A, now, yeah, this this happened. No, this is real. And now, now, thankfully, it worked out okay. All right, but she did pick that guy. So, I mean, number one, the odds of a serial killer getting on a game show were pretty, you know, small. I would imagine. I, I would and, think so. I mean, you'd, yeah. you'd think. And then the odds that she picked that one. And then I guess, you know, after the show's over, they're getting to know each other or whatever, and the date never happened. She just said there's something creepy about him, and it just kind of ended there. Of course, there was no further report. Game was over. There's no money. So it was just over, right? It's just a date. You won the date. You won the date, right. 
so he did, but he did not. Because uh, after after the game show was over and they spoke, she just said, no, no way, something something's huh. up with this guy. So again, at this point, he had already murdered uh, a minimum of uh, four people. So Rodney James Akala, also known as John Berger, that was one of his mm-hmm. aliases, like I said, uh, was a, con- uh, a convicted rapist and serial killer who committed uh, a minimum of seven murders that we know of total. So he actually murdered at least three people after the show. Oh, my so goodness. At, at least so he four. didn't go on the date with her but then went on to kill more people. Yes. So at least four before and at least three after. So seven uh, minimum and could be as many as like 15. My goodness. That uh, could be deaths that could be uh, contributed to him. So he was arrested on July 24th, 1979, just a little over a year after the uh, game show ended. So he went to prison. He's in prison. He's in prison right now as we speak in California. So wow, the dating game. So just you know, beware on that one, right? Yeah, that that's scary. It, it's unlike the other games because the other games you you win some money, right? right. And, that, and that's okay. Money's not usually going <laughs> to yeah. kill you, usually. <laughs> but, <laughs> this one, yeah. but the, this is yeah, that's kind of insane. It's a, it's a nightmare game. It's <laughs> <laughs> terrible. So Jason, up next, I have a uh, scandal involving a, a game show called Who Wants to Marry a Multimillionaire. So talking about people who aren't really who they say they are, this one has a little bit of the same twist. Not quite a killer, though. All right. I've never heard of this one. So Who Wants to Marry a Multimillionaire was a Fox Network reality show in which a multimillionaire named Rick Rockwell, what a name for a multimillionaire. Has to be, right, has to be a (laughs) multimillionaire. Imagine this chiseled chin, Rambo-looking guy, you know, Rick Rockwell, (laughs) multimillionaire. Probably also Batman. I don't know. Uh, Married the contest winner, Darva Conjur, on television. The show was aired as a single two-hour broadcast on February 15th, 2000, which is February 15th is my birthday. Oh, yeah. yeah. So unique connection here. That That's the only connection we have. Though. Okay. <laughs> In 2002, TV Guide ranked the show number 25 on its TV Guide's 50 worst TV shows of all time <laughs> list. Okay. So not, not a great show by anyone's standards. The show was structured as a beauty pageant-like competition in which 50 women, one from each U.S. state, competed to be the bride of an unknown multimillionaire whom they did not see except in silhouette. So it had some comparisons to the dating game in a way. Sure. They just knew this guy was filthy, stupid rich, and they could see a silhouette and he would talk to them. And, and they have to beat 49 other girls out. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> Game <happened>. on. <laughs> the competition included a swimwear portion and a question and answer portion. Apparently the only two things he needed to make his decision in two hours about oh, who so, he was going to so, marry. So he, he picks the, the, the winner, right? Okay, yeah, gotcha. he, he picks among the 50 by okay. asking questions and such. So the millionaire revealed to be Rick uh, Rockwell selected Darva Conjure as we said she was from California and he actually married her on the spot as a part of this this game show. Wow. I, I guess all of the women who came on the show had prearranged to marry this guy. I mean, it's called Who Wants to Marry a Multimillionaire? And if they're on the show, I'm assuming they raised their hand at some point and said, yeah, that, that'd be me. Wow. <laughs> After only, do it. only getting to know the guy for, for a couple of hours. In addition to the television wedding, Conjure also received a three-carat diamond ring and more than $100,000 in prizes. More than 22 million people viewed the show's broadcast. It was a pretty big deal. She won some money. She she got this ring. She married the multimillionaire, and everything. They just lived happily ever after, or did they? 
<laughs> this is game show scandals. I'm, I'm going to say no. Probably not. Yeah, they did. Uh, despite the show's high ratings, it was harshly condemned as being exploitative. And rightfully so. I imagine so. Yeah. Right. Just, just women signing up to marry this random guy. All they know about him is he's got a lot of money. And he's going to choose, you know, one of the 50. Also, after the show aired, questions were raised as to whether Rockwell was actually a multimillionaire. So this is where things kind of take a dive. Fox stated that Rockwell had $750,000 in liquid assets and a net worth just more than $2 million. However, later images showed that Rockwell lived in an ordinary looking home which had a discarded toilet in the backyard. Okay. So, so not exactly what you would imagine right. for the multimillionaire. Several other claims were also called into question. Rockwell claimed to have given up his career as a comedian in 1990 to become a motivational speaker. However, he had performed at a comedy club as late as 1998. So again, if he was a motivational speaker, as he said he was, eight years after he said he quit the comedy clubs, he's in a comedy club doing okay. comedy. So that doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. Also, several organizations where Rockwell claimed to have spoken said they had never heard of him and they had never hired him. So okay. I don't think Fox, they, they must have not done their research on the hmm. multimillionaire. Uh, on February 19th, which was just four days after this special aired, a website named The Smoking Gun discovered that one of Rockwell's former girlfriends had filed a restraining order against him for domestic violence in 1991. The ex-girlfriend uh, claimed that Rockwell assaulted her and stalked her when she tried to break off their engagement. It was later discovered that Rockwell was not the man's real last name. He was born Richard Balky. So not Rockwell, Balky. Balky. The woman that Balky married, Darva Conjure, quickly expressed regret for taking part <laughs> in the show. <laughs> yeah, she, she probably realized, man, this this is not so, a smooth gentleman that, that I... That undying love I had <laughs> promised four days ago was to dig some gold from. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> After returning from their honeymoon, where they were reported to have stayed in different cabins, Conjure told Good Morning America that, quote, I'm not married to him. In my heart, I'm not married to him. This is soon as she got back from the honeymoon. Conjure saw it in annulment and later sold the engagement ring and other prizes she won on eBay. Wow. I had not heard that story. So it's I don't a, know how I missed it, but kind I had of not heard the story. a little bit. Wow. Um, now, there, there's been some other issues. I think the two of them later, maybe a year or so later, went on Larry King Live and sort of batted it out huh. <laughs> with, with Larry King playing referee. So, yeah, they've continued to stay in the spotlight a little bit. But, you know, as for this show, kind of a scandal in a way. Well, that, that's a really kind of an interesting story. I just, uh, I don't know how I missed that. But for whatever reason, I had never heard of that. Yeah. Now, the show was, the, at least the name was based around the much more famous show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I so, think I have that up next. I think I you do. So, right. so, Jason, what can you tell us about Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Oh, all kinds of things. Everybody plays by the rules. Right? I'm all, all the time, I'm sure. Uh, who Wants to Be a Millionaire first debuted in 1999 on ABC. And during the first few years, the game show was a huge hit. Uh, even McDonald's had a promotion tied to Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Uh, like many shows, uh, there ended up being a British version of the show, uh, just like I think The Office. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the television show The Office. Yeah. Uh, I think The Office started as British and came or, to the U.S. came to America? I think so. Oh, did it? Okay. Yeah. All right. I just knew there were, there were two there. Uh, things were going well until 2001 when a British Army major named Charles Ingram decided to cheat the game. Basically, Ingram had a plant in the audience named Tequan Wittock. 
<laughs> and that sounds made up, but I'm not. Uh, Wittock would simply cough whenever Ingram would consider the answers out loud. Uh, the cough would denote, yes, that is the correct answer. So, you know, obviously, if you've seen that game, it's like, well, you know, if it's A, if, if the answer is George Washington, you're like, well, is it George Washington? I know he was the first president. So as he's sort of talking out loud, he's waiting for a cough. From the audience, somebody just he'd say, "Oh, is it George Washington?" They just say, <clears throat> yeah. "Affirmative." Yeah, and then yeah, pretty much, and then he would go, "Oh, it's George Washington." And so he would sort of like just you know methodically go through A, B, C, D, and whenever he heard the cough, that was his cue. That's the that's the correct answer. So then he would he would settle on that. Ingram goes on to win the million dollars, but the producers suspected foul play. Soon after, they went back and carefully watched the recording and noticed the cough in the background, hmm. and that there was a. Direct correlation, as they say, between the cough and his answers, the answer. and when he would answer, and those types of things. Yeah. So months later, Ingram uh, was in court accused of quote procuring the execution of a valuable security by deception. All right, Not, that, that doesn't sound like yeah. cheating at a game show by listening to coughs, though. No, that's that sounds a little more intense right there. Procuring the execution of a valuable security by deception. Additionally, uh, in a whole other story, and I thought this was just as fascinating, Charles Ingram's wife and brother had previously both been contestants on the game, both won $32,000 apiece. So huh. three family members, a husband, wife, and then a brother, had all been on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. One won the, the million, and then the other two won 32000 apiece. So the odds of that, I don't understand. Yeah, uh, that's that kind of strange. That kind of goes into the uh, the uh, McDonald's scandal, the uh, Monopoly scandal. You know oh, right. that there's there's I think uh, McMillions. There's a uh, the Netflix uh, documentary. Uh, yeah, and so we have mul- multiple family members winning. You know from from on the same game. So that hmm. kind of reminded me of that. Eventually, Charles and his wife uh, were sentenced to 18 months in jail, but they received probation and they had to uh, pay $115,000 in legal fees. Oh, wow. So ultimately, they had to pay back the $1 million, plus they had about a $115,000 legal bill. Now, eventually, over time, uh, some judges actually lowered that and some of their attorneys, and they actually got it lowered down to, like I think, uh, actually a little bit less than half of that. So this went on and on. Uh, He had to resign, basically, from his position in the uh, British military. And this this whole thing went on for like three years before it was sort of all kind of finalized. I mean, the, the court case was over and all of his, uh, you know, his uh, job, this position and paying everyone off of the attorneys. And it took about three years for everything to, to, to kind of get kinda, it resolved yeah, and everything. Yeah. I, I saw a little bit about this. I, I watched a piece of a documentary and saw some of this on YouTube. And I think he still denies it. Like when they ask him point blank and they show him the evidence, yeah, he, he still says, no, nope. wasn't me. I wasn't nope. taking cues from anyone. No, he kind of basically uh, pulls the, oh, uh, my name's Bennett and I ain't in it. <laughs> Type thing, yeah. No, he to this day he he does deny it. Yeah. So Shannon, I think you have maybe the last scandal uh, that we're going to discuss for this episode. I do, and this one involves a game show called Super Password. You ever heard of Super Password? I think so. Yeah, I, I think that's similar to like the 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 pyramid game. I think so. I think they uh, there's like two contestants, right? And, and one of them has to give clues as to a word or a phrase. Yes, yes that's I right. I think there were a lot of games like this back in the day. This particular one was an American TV game show that aired between 1979 and 1989, so on on air for about a decade. Two teams of two people 
each with a celebrity and a contestant, right. attempted to guess a mystery word using only one-word clues. In January 1988, a man going by the name of Patrick Quinn won a total of $58,600 in cash over four days on the game show, which included a record-tying $55,000 jackpot win in the bonus round. However, there was an issue with Patrick Quinn that was discovered by a bank manager, nonetheless, in Anchorage, Alaska. Do tell. <laughs> he wasn't a serial killer. He was a serial killer? Well, good. Well, that's a start anyway. <laughs> yeah. It turns out that Patrick Quinn was just an alias used by a man named Kerry Ketchum, a convicted felon with active warrants for his arrest. Oh, my gosh. So, as with other cases, this is someone who has a criminal history making their way onto a game show. The Alaskan bank manager called the U.S. Secret Service, which I have no idea how one does. <laughs> You just Google that number, I guess? I guess. I, there, there must be a 1-800 number. Uh, Ketchum was discovered to have outstanding fraud warrants in both Alaska and Indiana. The bank manager just recognized him on the television by, by random chance. I mean, really? Yeah, so he just, he just happened of, to be watching. Wow, just kind of visually picked him out. There, picked right? him out, called huh. the Secret Service, and uh, together they worked with the producer, and they began devising a plan to capture Ketchum. To, to catch Ketchum, as it were. <laughs> right. Following the show, Ketchum called the producer of the show and claimed that he would be leaving the country on work-related business. And I'm sure that was all legitimate. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, yeah. There's no doubt. He asked if he could pick up his winning check in person <laughs> rather than having it mailed to him, which was the standard procedure. <laughs> right. Most people who won had a permanent mailing address in their name. Apparently, uh, old Patrick Quinn, a.k.a. Ketchum, didn't. So right. he wanted to pick it up. On the advice of the Secret Service, the show's producer told Ketchum that he could pick up the check, and a date and time was set. When Ketchum showed up to the producer's office to collect his check, he was apprehended and taken into custody by local officials. When he was booked on the outstanding charges associated with his Indiana warrant, Ketchum was found to have used his Patrick Quinn alias, which came from the name of one of his college professors, to commit credit card fraud in Alaska, to defraud a used car dealer, and to collect illegally on an insurance policy on the life of his ex-wife. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so he, he was involved in some shady <clears throat> business. The thing that kind of gets me here is that he was using the name of his uh, ex ex professor, ex professor, right. yeah, his college professor, Patrick Quinn. I wonder, I wonder what he had against him. I don't know, or man. maybe he admired him or something. I don't know. That's Could weird. <laughs> maybe that was it. Ketchum was sentenced to five years in prison, and his winnings were rescinded as he was ruled to have violated contestant eligibility rules, which apparently involves having your real name used on the show. <laughs> so only five years, though. Just five years. It kind of shocks me. I mean, after all that yeah. that he had done. So he had a few warrants out for his arrest in multiple states, used an alias, went on the show, won the show, did really well, tied one of the all-time records, and just random chance, a banker in Alaska, which was one of the places where he had this warrants, just happened to be watching TV sitting that around, watching Super Password, and there he was. Lo and wow. Behold. Yeah. Tough call, luck. Called the Secret Service. <laughs> That's right. So, Jason, that's all I have. These were really interesting scandals. Uh, yeah, but I, I really do like game shows. I mean, even to this day, I mean, there's there's something about game shows and and board games. Yeah, I think they're always sort of similar. I mean, you know, it's there's always the, the sense of being a little bit family oriented when you're kind of watching those. Oh, yeah. I don't know what it is. And of course, you know, when you watch a game like Jeopardy and you get a question right, you're like, yeah, I'm the smartest person on earth. I feel and then good. you miss like twenty in a row that. or whatever. <laughs> 
Uh, but no, so uh, I thought this was a pretty cool, pretty cool episode. And I'm sure uh, given decision making of some humans, there'll probably be a part two of this episode at some point in the future. <laughs> I would imagine so. That's it. So thanks to all of our listeners who are joining us each week. We encourage you to follow us on social media. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the handle at SlapdashPod. And thank you so much. We look forward to the next episode. Take care. No whammy. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.